and I have published 400 different content just before the university exams. And this way I was able to actually index them way much faster. And since there is an increased search demand, it means search engine will need to refresh their index. If there is an increased search demand, they will try to find more documents. And since I have published entirely complete semantic content network, they have been indexed so quickly. And in one day, I have actually taken 140,000 clicks. We all strive for more nowadays, more traffic, more revenue, more growth. In this never-ending battle for more, it's easy to forget what's important. So what is important? Building real relationships with real humans and trying to be better each day without caring quite so much about getting more. After all, by building real and meaningful relationships, you'll have way more than you ever need. The SaaS SEO Show is a platform for meaningful connections and honest conversations with people who are real, hardworking practitioners and high performers in the SaaS industry. We're here to learn and get inspired by them, and we hope you do too. Now, here's your host, George Cassiotis. Before we jump into today's episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, Ahrefs. Ahrefs provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part, you can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahrefs.com awt and sign up for free. And now, back to today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the SaaS SEO. So I'm your host, George Hasiotis, and today I'm very excited to be joined by Korai Tuberg-Gubur, who is the founder and owner of Holistic SEO and Digital. Uh, Korai publishes SEO case studies, research, and detailed A-B tests along with their results. Uh, and he regularly attends webinars, conf- conferences, and SEO-related events. I must say that I first uh, got to know him from one of his um, infamous um, uh, posts that he did for OnCrawl's On-Craw- blog. Uh, I was really excited. I've been following him for uh, quite a while now, and I'm really excited to have him uh, on Thank the SaaS SEO. So, welcome. Thank you so much for having me here. It's a really valuable mem- memory for me. So um, let's get started. But before we dive into the very interesting stuff, um, I would like to um, get to know you a bit better. Uh, could you please, for the people especially who don't know you, uh, share a couple of things about your background and what has brought you to where you are today? Okay, so uh, I don't count, but I guess I have more than seven years of uh, experience in SEO. I have started doing SEO like Seven years ago, one of my friends, he told me that there is something called SEO. We were in gym and I don't know, I didn't know what SEO is. I thought that it is a kind of foreign supplement or a kind of drug or something uh, there because it sounds like a chemical thing, SEO, like hush, hush and something like that. Then I started to learn SEO. I dived into the industry from the casino industry in Istanbul and it was a highly dangerous industry since 
that industry is forbidden in Turkey and there are too much money on that, especially in Istanbul. It is it was very much more dangerous, but it is a topic for another day. Then I started to learn PBNs and other dirty things if in the black hat, then I dive then I move moved on to the elevated white hat areas. And probably in seven years I have worked with probably more than maybe 200, maybe even 300 different SEO projects and companies. And then I created my own company, Holistic SEO and Digital, uh, I guess 17 months ago. And since 2020 or 21, I published SEO case studies and I try to publish them in an evergreen way. It means that you can actually try to find some new methods to understand the search engines. Rather than just focusing on the ranking signals, you can focus on their obstacles and their perspectives so that you can actually understand how they construct their search engine result pages. And uh, you have seen one of them too. So this is a kind of simple summary for the seven years, I guess. Okay, okay. I guess there are many, many other moments that we can discuss right now and many, many aspects of uh, becoming um, so knowledgeable when it comes to uh, content and SEO and also which which is extremely important and one of the reasons why we invited you uh, to, to come to the SAS SEO so having your unique approach to um, SEO yeah thank you yes it is a little bit unique uh, because I try to focus on every vertical and every industry and every method in the search engine optimization, including GIF SEO maybe, or news SEO, or image SEO, or YouTube SEO, or Amazon SEO, because I like the search bars and what comes after the search query. And I try to understand how these things actually are functioning. And it's a kind of fun activity for me to be able to understand a search engine. Because imagine that you have 3 billion different images or web documents and someone comes to you and tell that rank these documents or images for this query. And probably a human being would be bored after the 17 image and the human would say that, okay, there are 17 images here, you don't need the 18 one, just pick one of them and move on. But when it comes to the search engines and search engine engineering, uh, they have many different methods and mathematical formulas or logic, and they also try to fight against the web spam. And all these things are actually fun. And in this case, this unique approach, usually, trying to focus on every vertical of search from every aspect, from hypertextual search engine to the social search engine to the semantic search engine or to the image or news or video search and other things. So that's why I actually read everything about search engines. For instance, here I have one thing from In The Plex, which is one of the most important books for understanding Google from Stephen Lev Levy. It shows from the other way, but this is one of the good books. There are more things here, of course, relevant to the SEO or other things. For example, this one. This is for semantic search. It explains the knowledge base trust. And in, in the background, actually, the white papers at the right side, they are all actually patents. And I have more than probably 600 patents in my two different desktop towers. I read these things for many years. And once I read these things, I start to feel their ways in a way because I just create an empathy with the search engine. When you look at the results, you are able to understand their methodologies, their obstacles, their fears. 
For instance, the other day, uh, I was reading about embarrassment factor. Even if a search engine is able to find a better answer, if they are not confident enough for the answer, it means that they can be embraced or embraced. For instance, in 2019, uh, when you search for how many legs do horses have, search engine was saying three. So answer might be good for a search engine, but still it creates a kind of embarrassment or a kind of shame for the search engine. So there are these type of aspects there that I am trying to understand. And lately, since semantic search engine profile and semantics are working more aggressively than others, I focused on that niche or that vertical more. And until now, I guess I have created five or six uh, SEO case studies for just that vertical. And I continue to publish them. And one of them, as you say, got infamous. The other one, other ones try to catch it. <laughs> okay, that's that's all very interesting. Uh, first of all, I think that we found the the title for this episode: "Create Empathy for the Search Engine." I guess yeah. <laughs> we, we couldn't we couldn't have a better title. We found it, and also we will definitely drop the the book in the in the show notes. Um, I guess that it will help if we could, uh, you know, just get a bit more practical. Let's say that you have a, a new client at Holistic SEO and Digital tomorrow. They are a SaaS company in a category uh, where the way people search has been developed. For example, email marketing. People search for email marketing, mm -hmm. I don't know, for 20 years now, maybe. Um, what is your starting point? Where are you going to, so, uh, to start this, this project? Yeah, so any kind of SaaS project, actually, the first thing that I try to focus on is the brand value rather than just directly diving into the queries or to the web pages or site tree or technical SEO things. First thing that I do is focusing on the brand identity and brand value because every SaaS company actually solves a problem for a returning in returning revenue or returning profit or recurring uh, payments. So in this context, before saying to the search engine that, look, there is a kind of web entity here and it is a kind of brand and this is the CEO and <laughs> this is something that you actually see for the last 20 years and it is just another website that does the same thing with the others. So before saying it or before starting comparing these things to the others, I need to create a strong brand value with all the brand aspects. And usually, actually, maybe next month I can write about it, like what is the difference between a website and a web entity? A web entity involves or includes all of the social media accounts, your CEO, your founder, your headquarter, your stock market value, or any kind of news and mention about you. So a web entity border and identity is very much wider and bigger than the website. So when I do a SaaS SEO project, first thing that I focus on is actually creating that brand value and brand identity. Once I am able to create that, once I'm able to create a search demand for the brands itself, then I start to create a topical map and a semantic content network. Then I also focus on technical SEO for decreasing the cost of retrieval or in other words, decreasing the cost for the search engine so that search engine can actually find more value because always they will create a kind of comparison. Let's say the web page quality is here, 
but the cost is here for taking that web page. So it means that it's not that quality. But let's say this is less quality, but cost is very much lower. So this is better for the search engine. So in my situation, I try to increase the value and brand power while decreasing the cost for the search engine so that they can focus on the website a little bit more. Because when you have billions of web pages for any kind of query, you, 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 you can actually be a little bit more annoying for the website publishers because you can't just eliminate them so easily. There are too many candidates. And in my case, I can tell that first step is brand value, second step is a topical map, then a kind of semantic contact network, and then I can focus on a little bit the convergence and also user retention. For example, I, I actually have written a SaaS SEO guide by including a kind of real-world example. For there, the topic was network security. Then I have chosen Reddit as a kind of point uh, of user acquisition. And I can tell that we have actually opened and posted more than 4,000 different paragraphs into the different subreddits. And now at, at the moment, we are actually taking more than 2,000 people just from Reddit. So you can call it maybe as a kind of Reddit SEO, I don't know, but we are even able to take traffic from there. And the good part is that these people started to search for the brand name and it also increased the brand search demand. And then it affected the related search terms, it affected the people also ask questions and other things. So it's a kind of combination of multiple things. That's all. I, I mean, the word I can, uh, I can, I can say mind blowing, uh, but let's, let's try to, to dive a bit deeper into that. When you say brand value, and by the way, the example that you gave for Reddit, I would like to, to ask, does that mean that we go on subreddits and when there is a relevant question to our brand, like we will give an answer um, in a way that is not promotional. Anything actually, because imagine, imagine that, let's say OpenSense is one of the competitors for you. And let's say in Reddit, you, there are also some tools, by the way, for keyword research in just Reddit. So you can actually make keyword research for just the Reddit. And let's say, you start to take all these subreddits and also some really important queries inside of the Reddit for all the possible competitors. Once they are able to see your name by comparing your product to the, your main competitors, which are the biggest competitors, a search engine is able to also learn this process because they always feed their own knowledge base or knowledge graph with all these comparisons. And I didn't stop with Reddit, of course. I also used Facebook groups too because they are also interchangeably feeding with each other. And then there are also some other things that actually we try to do there with like influencer marketing. There are some also platforms like marketplaces for influencers. And from YouTube to the other places, once you're able to create third-party reviews, independent reviews for your own brand, search engine is actually able to compare you to the others. And they're able to also think that this is one of the alternative brands to the, the others. And we also feed these aspects and these comparisons and these questions with the content network that we create and also even the local SEO. Because once we created these comparisons in social media, we have started to see that even in the Google business profile or Google Google My Business uh, knowledge panel, we have started to see our competitors. And then actually we have started to see that the SaaS project has started to appear in the competitor's brand search. 
So in this case, uh, it is a kind of start point. And uh, in a way, yes, we just find the relevant keywords, relevant subreddits. And another thing is that you need to use multiple other accounts from Reddit. You can't just post everything from the same account. So let's say there are 20 or 30 different accounts and you give a kind of natural approach there and people start to see your product and they start to try it. And once you have a kind of baseline with these people, they can actually start to refer you furthermore for other uh, competitor customers. That's, as, I, as I understand it, at least, that sounds to me like kind of like digital PR, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And would you say, by the way, in this same process, review sites, like for SaaS companies specifically, like G2, Captera, GetUp, <clears throat> and so on, that they play a role in br- uh, improving or increasing brand value? Yes, uh, but uh, on this case, uh, there are a couple of research papers that the search engine engineers uh, and designers published. For example, one of them is identification of independent review sources. And there they actually explain that if a review source is being controlled or semi-controlled by the real entity, reviewable entity owners, it means that they are not that independent anymore. For instance, you might not own Facebook, but you might own the Facebook page. So in this case, actually, Facebook is just a place for the content, but it is it doesn't mean that actually it is independent. So in this case, if Captera or other places, if they give uh, independent information and if it is able to be proved, proven, so yes, you can actually use these places for comparing these things to each other. And Google actually makes their own product graph uh, bigger and bigger for any kind of product lately. And I believe they are competing against Amazon. For example, the owner of this research paper, Luna Dong, she was a Googler, but she works for Amazon at the moment. And there are many other samples like that. And Google and Amazon, they are really competing with each other for creating the best possible product lines and product graph. SaaS projects or SaaS brands are also part of this situation because services even if they are a product, they also are a kind of service provider. So in this case, they will need to take all these triples, these entities, their values, their comparisons, and they will need to reflect these things onto their own SERP. So it might be Captera, it might be somewhere else, and you will need to use it. For example, they, they start to reflect these things in the about this source section. In the search engine result page, there for every snippet, there is a three dead area at the right top corner. If you click there, then they will start to show you that a, re- a kind of reasoning why you see that result. It might be the verse that appeared there or something else. But at that point, there is one more link. It says about this source. If you click there, they actually explain you that what they can find on the open web for that source. They take one sample section from the website, and then they put actually third-party independent reviews for that specific source. It actually gives an idea <coughs> how they collect the information for a website or brand and how they actually filter them. Even in the uh, quality rater guidelines, Google actually says that they're able to make a distinction between the independent reviews and uh, fake reviews. And I believe these product review updates, they're also connected to this aspect a little bit because they always try to find real aspects and real uh, authenticity in the reviews as well. So it is a little bit hard to trick them a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. And that's a great answer, by the way. Um, 
I'd like to discuss something a bit different. In your mm -hmm. uh, case study for OnCrawl, um, the one that we mentioned earlier, and obviously we will drop it in the show notes, you mentioned that one of the points that you make, I think, towards the end of the article is that we should be more focused as, I guess, content creators, as your professionals, uh, in finding and covering the information gap uh, rather than the keyword gap. And I would like yeah. to hear your thoughts on a practical level, if possible, on how we can do that. Like, how can we <coughs> think about information gap and not keyword mm -hmm. gap? Because keyword gap is something that we can easily identify through uh, software, yeah. or, uh, so yes. software like Ahrefs, for <coughs> example. But what about the information gap? So on this section, I need to explain what semantic content networks and what a semantic network is. A semantic network is, the, is a kind of knowledge representation with edges and nodes. And when I say knowledge representation, there are multiple ways for representing any kind of knowledge. You can use frames or any kind of knowledge base or something else. But when it comes to the semantic networks, they are very much easier because of three different reasons. First of all, it is very much easier for storage. So it, it decreases the cost of storage for the search engines. Second of all, it can be free. You can actually phrase, you can create phrases or sentences from any kind of semantic network. So in other words, when you have a semantic network, easily you can generate text from there. And third thing here is that you can easily check authenticity of any kind of information. So when it comes to knowledge representation, I won't dive into the academic papers or things here because I know that the audience will be bored. But when it comes to the semantic networks, these three reasons, authenticity, cost, or decreasing the cost of storage, and also being able to generate text. These are the main reasons that they actually prefer semantic networks and knowledge graph is also a semantic network. So in this context, let's say we, all, we are able to create any kind of information graph from any kind of content piece. So in this context, imagine that we have two different documents and one of them says that X can be cooked in 43 degrees other, can, other one says that actually it is 41. And let's say we have other 5 million documents and they also give numbers sometimes 43, sometimes 41, sometimes something else. And there are different conditions. When you start to create an information graph, as a search engine, you will realize that at least 90% of the documents are wrong. They don't give the truth there. Even if they mention the specific phrases there, they are actually not giving the word there or the truth there. So in this context, to be able to close that information gap, you will need to create a semantic network, maybe in your mind. You will need to learn how to create these edges, how to draw all these nodes, and how to connect them to each other. For example, when you read anything relevant to the a camera, there are certain things that there are there there are certain things that need to be mentioned, like maybe the pixel of it, maybe weight of it, maybe color of it, maybe the water and the camera relation, and also maybe its lenses and other things. But these attributes are already predetermined. There are not that much unique uh, attributes that actually we can add into the camera if it is not something so different. So in this context, maybe zoom capacity, maybe uh, the FPS or other things. In this case, you will need to give clear 
simple sentences for all these attributes according to the, their prominence. And I actually have explained all these things in my course and also the case studies that I didn't publish. And there actually I have given three different aspects to the attributes, like attribute prominence, attribute relevance, and also attribute popularity. Let's say you checked all your queries and you realize that some of the attributes appear more than others. For a camera, it might be pixel. For a computer, it might be maybe gigahertz or something else. So it means that this attribute is more prominent, more relevant, and also more popular. So you can actually dive in there. You can explain the pixel measurement or pixelization types or the lifespan of these lenses or the maintenance of the lenses. So in this context, it a little bit depends on which attributes you have chosen and what kind of information you have given for them. But it requires a kind of entity-oriented search understanding. If you are able to understand a text document rather than as a text, but as a network of information, you are able to actually close that gap because you can easily find these attributes. You can easily change their values for that. One more thing. It is actually called Entity Attribute Value Database. Every content piece has one entity at least, one attribute at least, and a value for that. And value affects your authenticity because you can give the wrong value for these things. I know it's a bit hard to understand, but <laughs> that, that, that's explaining all, is harder. That, that's, all, that's all very, very, very interesting. Uh, speaking of um, entities, though, um, and semantic, you know, associations and structures and content networks. Um, in this uh, same case, uh, SEO uh, case study, uh, you mentioned that if we have a subtopic that is required in a topic's semantic structure, like you mentioned earlier about pixels, for example, um, we should include it. We should, as I understand it, create a page about it. Um, the question is, though, like, how can you know whether or not because i guess that up to a certain degree of course we are just it's 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 guesswork yeah like we guess that this is indeed in google's uh knowledge base um related uh, as an entity uh to the topic let's say that we want to to cover the question is on a very pl practical level how can we identify it and say that you know what yes it seems that for google this is a subtopic that we need to to cover in order to, to be considered topically yeah. relevant. Yeah. So uh, to be able to understand how to create the topical borders, in other words, uh, to understand which topic ends where and which topic, which other topic starts where and for a source, let's say for a source as a SaaS for email marketing, which one of these should be covered until what point. So to be able to understand that, the best possible way is actually checking their own knowledge base and plus using their own language APIs to understand their own perspectives. And there is one more thing actually here. Usually, once I am talking about the semantics, people usually focus on only but only to the semantics. But also there is something more there we call query semantics. The query semantics are different than lexical semantics. For example, two query or two phrases, they might not be synonyms of each other, but in queries, they, they might be synonyms too. For instance, selling and buying, they are actually opposite of each other. They are antonyms in lexical semantics. But in query semantics, they are actually synonyms because usually 
people that don't differentiate the selling and buying from each other that much because usually they find these things together. And even if they want to sell, they search it like buy because they search someone to someone that actually can buy it. So it's not, there is not that much clear differentiation between them for query semantics. So with that said, when you think about the query semantics, you will start to realize that even if the topics are different from each other, they are actually searched together and also they appear in the same documents with different types of prioritizations or subcontexts. So in this context, I have published a kind of slide share presentation just for query processing. Because if you understand how a search engine parses a query to the different terms, to different types of possibilities or word connections or word sequences, you're able to actually understand what kind of a content format and what other helper contents should exist there. So knowledge base or knowledge graph API of Google, it can be used for understanding what entities they actually have for this such a topic. Another thing is that you can scrape entire search engine result page with 100 results. You can even actually crawl all these pages. You can use your own named entity recognition algorithm. You can take all these entities. Third thing is that you, with NLP, we can also create our own information graph from the, all these content. And we can understand that, okay, the first three, the first three documents actually focused on this. The last three actually focused on that. And based on this, we are able to actually understand which topics are prioritized and which topics are subtopics. And you will be able to follow these things in the related search terms because every related search term is semantically distinctive from each other because if, the, if two query are too close to each other, you won't see them in the related search terms, even if they are related. Because related search terms have to be different and distinctive so that you can see a different result when you click them. Did you understand this part? The last part? I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm okay, trying. I will try that. <laughs> okay, let me give you a, an example. Let's say you have searched for Iceland trials, okay? Or Iceland uh, jogging routes. Let's say you have searched for that. And in the related terms, you have seen a phrase like this, Icelandic jogging routes would you click that because the term are too close to each other and probably the results won't change from iceland jogging roads to the icelandic jogging routes so in this case you probably will see the same result so it means that the user wouldn't click there because if a user clicks to the related search term it means that they want to find something different so in this case the query needs to be relevant but also distinctive than the previous one. So every distinctive related search term actually leads you to the another topic. But in the query semantics, if you are able to find seed queries and the central query clusters, you will be able to understand when you should stop and when you should continue to process that topic. And I know that this is a little bit highly theoretical answer, and I will try to give you a kind of example from any case study that I have already published. For instance, in Vizam.net project, I have published it after that infamous one uh, in the Semantic Contact Network once. And it is a brand new domain. And at the moment, it also takes more than 300k amount. And we have spent like uh, seven months to come there. So first thing that I have focused on there is actually all of the countries at the same time for any kind of visa type. But also I processed any kind of attribute 
of these countries, like their capital city, like their airports, like their restaurants, hotels, and also like their culture, songs, celebrities, cinemas, architecture, and other things. I have processed these things too. Then for any kind of country, I have prioritized these things in a different way. For example, when it comes to Turkey, our architecture is not that important because we don't have that much beautiful buildings, to be honest, from the history we have, but not from modern area. And if they are from history, it's not about architecture, it's about past, it's about history again. So in this case, for every country, there is a different attribute that you can focus on. And you can, you can actually create more relevance and more authority and more need for the search engine. Once you are able to find these things, you can actually connect these things back to the, your central section. For example, <clears throat> for visa, the architecture is not that prominent because topically, if you speak visa, taking a visa or visa consultation is not a relevant topic to the architecture. It's too different from each other. But when you understand that these things are connected to each other in the query networks and query semantics, you will understand that you will need to find a way to actually connect these things. And this is a traveling because there are different things to do in X country. And probably you are taking that visa for one of these things. And from these purposes, from these other things, you can actually connect these things to each other. And there are more things that I can actually mention like verbs. Every verb or every verb plus noun, you can create templates there. That's why in the semantic content network case study, I mentioned one thing. Creating semantic content networks with query templates. Because every query template are similar to each other. One verb, one noun. They, are, they can be connected to each other really, really in an easy way. You can variate them, you can replace them, but the content format won't change that much. It is also important because when you have a query template, it is easier for a search engine to take all these documents because they know that if these documents worked for this query pattern, these ones will work for this one too, because these are from same template, like how to content and how to queries, or like definitional content, like versus content, X versus Y. Usually you will see the same type of content there, because even if the, there are millions of possible X and millions of possible Y, always humans compare these things to each other in a similar way. So it is easier for search engine to understand these documents and store and index and rank these things. Based on that, you can actually try to find some subtopics, but you will need to understand query processing and how a search engine tries to satisfy its users. I can give one more example, then I will finish. For example, let's say you have two different websites. As a search engine, you try to choose one of them. Let's say next month there is a core algorithm update and search engine compares your website to another one. And search engine says that if I choose the website A, I am able to satisfy at least nine topics interconnectedly. And I'm able to actually satisfy this much of queries in a very much better way. The other algorithm says that, yeah, but the site website B also covers a few more topics and these topics are semantically closer to the other sections. So in this case, they have a kind of comparative ranking system and they understand which one is actually cheaper. If I rank one of these, how, many how much more users, how much more queries will be satisfied 
in a better way. So when you think like that, you will be able to understand the distance between topics and also how they can be connected to each other to create a better satisfaction. I think that this last example uh, makes way more sense. Like it makes okay. it very plain and simple to to comprehend. And I think that it makes sense. And it's a great perspective as well to think about it uh, that way. And I guess that it comes back to what we said in the beginning about creating empathy for the search engine. Yes, um, definitely. Yeah. One thing that I'd like to ask you, um, let's say that you see through the research that you do for, for, a, for a client, for a website, that, you know what, we need to create 200 pages. Okay, that's it. We need to create those 200 pages. Have you seen, like, based on your experiences working with clients, that the like publishing frequency, how fast we can move, we can go, plays a role. Assuming that every, everything is technically sound, that the, that the pages are indexed, okay. uh, they are crawled, they are indexed, and so on and so forth. But have you seen that this plays a role in how fast we can anticipate results? Okay, there are actually three things that I usually optimize for publication frequency plus timeline. For example, in that SEO case study, Creating Semantic Networks, there is a second website there. It is an education website, and I have published 400 different content just before the university exams. And this way, I was able to actually index them way much faster. And since there is an increased search demand, it means search engine will need to refresh their index. If there is an increased search demand, they will try to find more documents. And since I have published entirely complete semantic content network, they have been indexed so quickly. And in one day, I have actually taken 140,000 clicks. And then website continue to take 20,000 clicks a day permanently. So if I will publish these things six months earlier, same content and same network, everything is same, but it wouldn't create that, that kind of an effect because you will need to publish these things initially just there, that while there is a kind of trending topic for your own industry. Another thing is the core algorithm updates. Even if you publish things and even if you take too much traffic, if there is a core algorithm update close by, it means that actually they will start to re-rank re -rank all these things and the previous effect can be lost. That's why usually I choose one trending, one trending topic in, this, in terms of seasonal SEO. Then I try to find a kind of spot that, that are distant from the core algorithm updates. And there is one more thing there, of course, the publication frequency. Sometimes I publish everything in one day and sometimes I publish them gradually. Again, it, is a little bit, it depends on a little bit your competitors at the same time, because when you increase your crawl quota or crawl demand, it means that search engine will try to understand what you are trying to do. So are these web pages necessary? Are these web pages unique? Or is there any kind of added value there? Or you just repeat the same old things, but like others do. So in this case, if you are able to put a kind of high, high difference with, it, with this added value, go in once. But if you don't have enough level of uh, content production speed, you can actually publish, let's say, 50 of them at once. Then you can publish three uh, per day or let's say two per three days. If you're able to create that consistent frequency, search engine will start to increase the crawl quota over time. And you will, st you will start to see that actually crawling delay 
will be decreased, indexing delay will be decreased, and you will also start to see that the new documents will start to gain rankings faster than before. It is one of the important things because when you start to publish a topic, you will realize that sometimes you start your indexation live from second page, sometimes from the third page, sometimes from the fourth page. And what determines that? When you publish something, it starts from the 15, sometimes it starts from the 25. So it means that actually scores were different. But let's say you have increased your topical authority, then you can actually start being indexed from the first page at the same time. And there is a kind of time decay for that. So when I'm able to see that actually crawl, crawl delay, indexation delay are getting decreased, and also when I see that the initial rankings are also increasing, so I start to increase the frequency overall. But let's say your new published documents don't gain even new queries. It might be because of technical SEO, or it might be because you are using a kind of paraphrasing tool or a kind of just repeated content like others do. So in this case, it means search engine doesn't care about your content that much. Okay, that's, that's very interesting. But I guess that the short answer here is that it depends on the case, of course. Yes, it, it def definitely depends on the case. Your competitor matters, the core algorithm update time matters, seasonal SEO time matters there. And yeah. also your content production speed matters too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the last question that I have for you, Cora, uh, is in this same guide, this case study uh, that you published a while back, you mentioned that when you give guidelines to content writers, uh, you essentially tell them that um, I don't want you to add any opinion inside, inside the content or I guess sentiment as well. You know, I feel uh, positive about it. I feel negative about it or anything of that sort. And this really uh, striked with me. Uh, and I would really love to know why we shouldn't add opinion uh, in okay. our content where, where in the scope, of course, is we want to get organic traffic. Yeah. The thing here is that uh, when you talk about the semantic content networks, you can't change the value of the attribute in every content piece. They should align everything. You can't say in every article that this is the most important thing. You can't say always this is the best product because you were saying that the other one was the best in previous article. And now you are saying that this is the best one. And in the next article, you will again say, say that this is the best one. So which one is the best in your semantic network? Because there can be only one best or one best group. And when it comes to saying to opinions, usually the authors, they give their opinions randomly without any kind of factuality, without any kind of evidence. They say that this is really important. First of all, there is no such a query or question. I didn't ask whether this is important or not. I just asked, what is this thing? Or I just asked, what is the function of these things? So I'll just explain the function rather than saying that it is important because it's not the question there. And another thing is that, how did you understand that it is, the import it's, it is important? And how much it is important? Is it important like a war or is it important like just, I don't know, I am hungry? So how did you measure that? What is your measurement unit there? So when you... When you give an opinion, you need to structure it in a really good way. And it should be factual. It should rely on a kind of fact. And search engines, they don't rank the opinions unless you are a really important person, unless it is news SEO industry. In news SEO, you can tell your opinion because readers care about it. But when it comes to the <coughs> evergreen facts or when it comes to the products, actually, if you are able to give prov proven facts, 
it's very much easier for search engines to trust a document. And if you want to give an opinion, I usually ask the opinion of the CEO and I put it there as a quote rather than just giving a random opinion from the author. I tell that, ask the CEO his opinion or her opinion, then we can put a kind of quote there and then you can continue to make a kind of uh, a kind of bridging section with, between that opinion and between the facts and you can explain the reasons so in this case if you give opinions not the facts uh, it's not the best way to convince a semantic search engine for saying that we are authority on this topic because anyone can give the opinions to be honest but giving the facts and proofs is very much harder I like that. And I like the, uh, that little tip about quoting the, the CEO and not writing something that, you know, it's, it's so yes. your, your opinion. I like that. Yes. And I also include sometimes brand name instead of saying that actually, uh, for instance, instead of saying our products are here, I just say X brand products are here, for example, because search engine will need to understand what these are refers to. It's not that easy for machines to understand what we or you mean in, in a document. If you say he, and if there are two different males in the document, they will try to understand which he is this. Is this the CEO? Is this the, his assistant? And uh, what is he refers there? And they will try to understand word proximity. They will check the previous sentence, the other sentence. And it is cost. Search engine won't care about a website that much. No website works for that cost. You need to give all the facts in an easy way to digest for a search engine. Korai, I think that we will have to do another episode because, you know, there are many, many questions and many, many interesting things to cover. It's up to you. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, but before we, we wrap things up, uh, could you please uh, let people know where can they find more about you and if there is something exciting coming up uh, in the future as we were discussing about your course, um, yeah. let us know. Where can people find more about you and what can people expect uh, from you in the future? Thank you. Uh, I'm really active on Twitter and they can find me as uh, with the Koray Gubur Twitter handler. I share many things there. I'm also active in Facebook and LinkedIn. I also share things there too. They can search for my name. I also have a website, Holistic SEO, that digital. I don't do SEO there, but I test that website uh, harshly and even Google can remove it. <laughs> In the future, but it uh, it has I have many articles there uh, in a unique way, and uh, my course probably it will come in two months. But I hope that there will be a piece in the world so that I can publish and launch it in while ev everyone is happy and safe. So if they want to know when when it is out, they should just subscribe my newsletter. They can find it from again my Twitter profile, and they will know when it is live. That's great. Korai, thank you very much for being on the success. Thank you for having me here. Thank you so much. Thank you for staying with us until the end. Before you go, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, Ahrefs. Ahrefs provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part. You can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahrefs.com slash awt and sign up for free. 
another episode of the SaaS SEO Show has wrapped. We hope this episode has taught you something new too. We'd like you to connect with us so you can keep up with all the new content that we're creating. Before you go, it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe to this podcast and over at our YouTube channel, where we upload the video version of this and every episode. Until next time.